Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. This morning we're continuing our sermon series, An Impossible Christmas, How the Impossible Became Possible. This comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Um, the angel of the Lord declared, for nothing will be impossible with God. Those would be the words that Mary clung to, and I pray those same words will be the words that we cling to this Christmas. Say with me, nothing is impossible with God. Again, nothing is impossible with God. How many of you believe that this morning? I hope all of us in this room believe that. This morning, we're going to be looking at an impossible messenger. We're going to be looking at the story of John the Baptist and his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. You talk about an impossibility happening within this family. You had a barren woman. You had a a husband and a wife that were well beyond the age of having children. Then you have a child that had been promised um, for hundreds of years to come and burst into human history to change the world. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Our message point is John, the New Testament's first revivalist. John the Baptist would be the forerunner of the Lord. He would preach a message of repentance and would announce the arrival of Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. Notice our first point this morning, it is this, God would be silent no more. How many of you like silence? It depends on the setting, right? If There's times I love silence, but, but most of the time I have to have something going in the background. Like in my office, I've always got a fan that's going on high and music that's playing because I can't just stand just being in a room by myself with silence. But there's other times when I like silence. But the kind of silence that we're going to read about this morning is not a good kind of silence. So notice beginning in um, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, we read, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. You know, the birth of John the Baptist is a significant event. With the birth came the promise that the Messiah would be born. In the closing pages of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi wrote, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. This passage of Scripture was a promise to the people of Israel that before the Messiah would come, a forerunner would go before him. And that forerunner, we know, was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came and he preached a message of repentance. We read here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken 
uh, by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The word of Malachi was given to the people as a promise, a promise that, he, that would not be fulfilled for 400 years. That is a time frame from the closing of the Old Testament until the opening pages of the New Testament. Not only was there a gap of 400 years between the two Testaments, but the 400-year period would be a time of utter silence in the land. For 400 years, the people of Israel did not hear the voice of the Lord. Nothing. No word, no prophecy, no angelic encounters, absolutely nothing. This week I finished um, a reading plan through the Bible. And the plan that I was doing was a plan that, that would have me reading from four different books of the Bible every single day. And, and, and in that closing um, day's reading, we, I read from Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4. And, and as I read those words... I knew what was going to happen next. I knew that when I got to the last verse in Malachi chapter 4, I could flip over to Matthew chapter 1, and I could read exactly what happened next. But think about the people of old. Man, when they read that last verse, all they had to cling to was hope and promise. Okay? And, and think about it. Man, when those words were first prophesied, I bet you the people were pretty excited. Man, I bet you they were pumped up. They knew that there was going to be a forerunner to come. They knew the Messiah would come. And, and they probably even thought that his coming was imminent. But day by day, no Messiah. Year after year, no Messiah. Decade after decade, no Messiah. It would be similar to you and I. You know Jerry Jones, you all know who he is? Jerry Jones, what does he promise us every single year? That the Cowboys are going back to the Super Bowl. Guess what happens? Year after year after year after year, that promise is unfulfilled, right? Well, think about those of old. Man, that promise was unfulfilled. They kept waiting, they kept waiting, they kept waiting. But the silence would finally come to an end when Zechariah would enter into the temple to offer up prayers and incense. Zechariah was not just any man, nor was his wife any ordinary woman. We read in this passage of Scripture that they were righteous. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not described as being righteous before their fellow man. They were, being, they were described as being righteous before God. When our last breath is breathed on this side of eternity, that is all that matters. Not what we have in our bank accounts, not the stuff that we have accumulated, not even the good works that we have done before our fellow men. What matters is us being found to be in right standing with God. That's how Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were found before God, before they had an encounter with God. So we see here that they were righteous, but Elizabeth had a little bit of a problem. She was barren. In verse 7 we read, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. To have been barren was considered to be a sign of sin in one's life. It was a sign of disfavor in the eyes of God. In the Old Testament, we see that time and time again. In fact, in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read, You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. 
So for a woman to have been barren, that was some kind of a sign that they were found to be um, in, in, in out of favor with God or that there was some kind of sin within that family line. But I want you to know, before we go any further, I want to be clear with you. Some like to point out that if I live a righteous life, I will have no problems. And my kids will experience no problems in this life. That is so far from the truth. Life happens to Christians just like it happens to non-Christians, right? Don't think because you are the most righteous person you are immune, because you're not. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus was not immune to troubles so you and I should not think that we're going to be immune to troubles as well. Um, on, on Thursday, I mean on Friday morning, Danny sent me um, a, a little caption of the devotion that she was going through that day. It was an Advent devotional that she's been walking through. And I want to read to you um, what she sent over to me. She said, or this, this writer said, God comes in dangerous times. He comes in the chaos and weeping of real-world events. This is not a sentimental, warm, fireplace Christmas. No one sang it's the most wonderful time of the year. God continues to enter the danger and chaos of our lives. Is my world too dangerous for Jesus? Is my sorrow too great for him to enter? Sometimes I feel as if my world is too chaotic for the work of God. But I'm reminded in Advent that he comes. He comes in dangerous times. He comes to bring hope and life. He rolls back the evil. He enters with us and brings us out. That's what God does. He comes in the midst of our troubles, and he provides us hope and a pathway. Notice our second point. God answered their prayer. In verses 13 through 17, we read, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The righteousness of Zechariah and Elizabeth would be seen through their prayer life. Zechariah was a priest of the Lord. He was part of one of 24 different divisions of priests in Israel. Each of these divisions would take a turn serving the Lord for a week each year. There would have been thousands of priests, but only one at a time would have received the honor of going into the temple. To have been chosen to go would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Scripture tells us Zechariah was chosen by lot. And he enters the temple, and he experiences a supernatural encounter. In verses 11 and 12, again, we read, And they appeared to him, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I love that. He was troubled. Of course he was troubled. I think all of us would have been troubled if the angel of the Lord appeared to us as we had entered in um, for service. 
I understand Zechariah heard from the Lord even before Mary and Joseph did. And the angel will comfort him in the midst of his trouble. In verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. The angel tells Zechariah that their prayers have been heard. What was it that Zechariah had been praying? Was he still holding out hope that he and Elizabeth would have a child in their old age? Now, I think he certainly could have prayed that whenever he entered into the temple. I also believe that he was praying for the nation of Israel. I believe that he was praying for the coming of the Messiah to burst into human history to eradicate the darkness. In Isaiah 9-2, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You know, folks, you and I need to be praying for the Lord to bring about revival across our land and across our nation, don't we? I think we know this, but by the way of, um, uh, the way of America closely follows the way of Europe. As you see a decline in the church population in Europe, soon you see that here in America as well. I read this week a a troubling statistic out of Europe. Um, in, In the article that I read, this is what is written in it. For the first time since 1801, when the United Kingdom took its first census, less than half of the population identify as Christian. While the share of individuals who say they have no religion has swelled by millions. The data published Tuesday by the UK's Office for National Statistics show that only 46.2% or 27.5 million of the country's more than 67 million people say they are Christian. In 2011, when the last census was done, 59.3% of the population or 33 million people described themselves as being a Christian. Think about that. Almost 10 million people over a period of 10 years have walked away from Christ. No longer associate themselves as being a Christian. We're seeing that quickly happen here in the United States as well. We're seeing more and more people walk away from the church and, and in many cases even walk away from the Lord. We know that Zechariah prayed. We know that the angel of the Lord answered his prayer. He and Elizabeth would have a child. Not only that, but this child would be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Folks, God still answers prayers, doesn't he? He may not answer in our time. He may not always answer in our way. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that God still answers prayers. There's no telling how many years Zachariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a child. It could have been... Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Scripture doesn't tell us that. You know, sometimes, and I know that I've shared this, sometimes we, our prayer life looks more like a one and done. I pray once, and if God doesn't answer, I'm done. Well, what we see all throughout Scripture is we see people pray with persistence. We see people pray and pray and pray and pray. I love what James writes in James 5.16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Folks, do not give up praying. Be persistent. God honors persistence. 
He honors righteousness and he honors faithfulness. We're told that when John came upon the scene, he was going to bring joy to the people. Hundreds, if not thousands of people repented of their sins and got right with the Lord as a result of the ministry of John the Baptist. You know, there is no greater joy a person can receive than to receive the gift of salvation. Think back to the moment of your salvation. Man, when the Holy Spirit entered into you, you were forever changed. And I promise you, you experienced the joy of the Lord at that moment. Now, sometimes we, we let the joy of the Lord kind of fade over time. Well, I want you to know, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, that joy should not be fading. We should constantly be reminded of our salvation experience. The angel declared to the shepherds in Luke 2.10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus brings joy to our lives. He brought joy to the shepherds. John the Baptist would bring joy as he preached a message of repentance. Notice also the angel declares that John would be great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus said that of those born of a woman, none was greater than John the Baptist. John was clearly no ordinary man, and he preached no ordinary message. Notice that John was also full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 15 we read, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Never in human history had that been said of any other person. Think about the significance of that. There has never been a person that has been filled with the Holy Spirit from the time of conception before John the Baptist. You and I, when did we receive the Holy Spirit? At the moment of our salvation, right? But John received the Holy Spirit when he was in the womb of his mother. Notice our final point this morning. God would silence Zechariah. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you the good news. Then behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. You know, the angel has disclosed that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a child. And upon hearing that, what does Zechariah do? Does he fall on his face and say, Thank you, Lord, for the gift? No, he questions the feasibility of him being able to have a child in his old age. He questions whether or not God indeed could do the impossible. Well, we know that God would do the impossible, certainly. So Zechariah questions the angel of the Lord. I mean, does that sound familiar? You remember as we walked through our our study of Genesis and we read about Abraham and Sarah? Sarah, when she was um, uh, one year um, from having 
Isaac. The Lord says, you're going to have a child, and what does she do? Man, she laughs at the Lord, didn't she? But Gabriel would respond to Zechariah. And, and we read, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Gabriel was no ordinary angel. He literally stood in the presence of the Lord and still to this day stands in the presence of the Lord. That is who Zechariah would have an encounter with. And Gabriel was sent with the purpose. He was sent to tell Zechariah the good news that he and his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. And the name of that son would be John. The name John means Yahweh has been gracious. I think Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced God's grace at the moment of conception and the moment of John's birth. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Elizabeth means my God is an absolute faithful one. All three of these names clearly declare God's faithfulness and God's purpose within his family. Just like the, that family had a purpose, every single one of us in this room, our family too, has a purpose. You have a purpose, and that purpose is not going to um, go away until you take your final breath on this side of eternity. Fulfill the purpose that God has given for you and your family. We know that Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous because Scripture declares this. They were righteous, but they were not sinless, were they? Notice Zachariah's punishment. He would be silenced. Why was he silenced? Because he doubted. He doubted the very words of Gabriel. He questioned how God could make something that seems impossible with man possible. And we're told that when he comes out of the temple, he could not speak. The people recognized that he had been with the Lord. You know, I think that's interesting. How did they know that he had been with the Lord? It had to be more than just the fact that he couldn't speak. Did his face radiate like Moses' did whenever he came off Mount Carmel? Scripture doesn't tell us. All we know is that the people recognized that he had been in the presence of the Lord. And we see as a result of, 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 of God showing up in their lives, the Lord would bless them with the child. The blessing of John would be a blessing for the world. Notice these words that Zechariah would declare about his son John once he could speak again. In Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 80, we read, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You and I are not the forerunners of the Lord. Because the Lord has already fulfilled who would be his forerunner. But you know what we are? We are messengers of God, aren't we? We are God's plan and his heralds of good news today. I pray that just like John went out preaching a message of repentance and, and calling people to the Lord, I pray that we too will go out into this world preaching a message of repentance as well as encouraging people to turn to the Lord.
You may be here this morning, and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You may never have recognized that Jesus came and burst into human history to save you. If that is you, I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, and to call out to the Lord to be your Savior and your Lord. And the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never done that, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus, just thanking you again for the opportunity to be in your house, Father. Thank you, Father, for every man, woman, student, and child that's in this room right now. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's someone here that has never entered into a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, I also pray, Lord Jesus, that every single one of us in this room recognize that you are the God of the impossible. Father, you make impossible things possible. And as we read this morning in our passage about Elizabeth being barren, Father, we know that it was you that, that, that brought to the world God. And Father, we also know, Lord Jesus, that you brought us into this world to impact this world for you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will help us, Father. Father, may your Holy Spirit so make yourself uh, known to us that we recognize, Lord Jesus, who we need to share the good news of salvation with. Father, we want to be your heralds. We want to be your messengers. We want to be the individuals, Father God, that bring joy to the world as we share the plan of salvation with the lost. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray.